Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. Um, I wanted to uh, continue our uh, sort of series that we're in, and this week, actually, um, I've kind of been thinking through, we were, <laughs> it's happening a lot lately, um, was going to, uh, we were going to be starting a new message series is my, no, uh, we were going to be starting a new series for Christmas called Incarnate, which we're going to be doing, but later in the month of December, because I want to continue with this piece um, concept, and it's going to transition nicely, but um, last week we talked about uh, peace in our darkest moments, and it really felt like it was uh, a timely message for where we were at uh, as a country, and while things have not necessarily changed or gotten any better, um, I want to continue moving along in this concept of peace, but look at it from a little bit of a different angle. Last week was pretty practical, um, in that it was a very specific prescription for the way that we can address peace in our darkest times. Just as a recap to that, we um, explored the concept of David, you know, in Psalm uh, 13, I believe it was, where he was just in his darkest moment. He was being hunted and um, he was crying out to God, God, how long will you forget me? And sometimes we feel that way uh, in our lives, when our situations or our emotions or, you know, however we feel, feels as though the world is closing around us and all we can see is darkness. And so we look into um, into you know scripture and we see that there is peace that's promised to us as we take our prayers and we should never shy away from that we should always come to God but then also understanding that like that that we have to practically um, focus on things that are going to help us kind of see a different perspective and pull us out of this and God uses that to kind of break down walls and um, so that's what last week was really about chain ourselves to God in faith and then not focus on the darkness and instead you know like focus on the light well this week is more conceptual so I want to be honest and just be upfront about that this week is more of a conceptual message more of a principle right kind of a foundation and and these are not as easy to digest sometimes because um, sometimes what we want is just the answer, right? We want the one plus one equals two. So just tell me what to do, Jared, like, or God, just give me a prescription in the Bible that says, if I do this, then I'm promised to do this thing. The thing is though, is that our faith as an integrated lifestyle, right? Like it is not just rules. It's not rituals. Um, and if it was those things, it would not be enough. Like that's why I said last week, it's not mind over matter. It's not simply just focusing on happy things to make us feel better. There is a faith component to this. And it also has to do with um, with who we are as, as people, but also the foundations in which we are, our entire life is built off of. So, so, so much of our faith in Christianity and faith in Christ and ultimately the way that we live our lives is built on if we've set our lives on the foundation of what God's word says at the root, at its foundation about who God is, what he does with us, how that informs how we live our lives, how it shapes all of our beliefs and our behaviors, 
that is a significant component to how we will experience things like peace or how we will how we can um, remove roadblocks in our spirit to to so that we can accurately receive from God or or receive his promises and peace so peace is exactly that way so last week was practical things that we can do kind of low-hanging fruit to help us be able to on a, on a regular basis how can I just when I when all I need like when I'm in the worst possible spot what is something I can do to just help me hang on? That's what last week was. Today is more of a foundational approach to peace. And so I wanted to uh, just turn to Mark chapter four is where we're going to be at today. Mark chapter four, if you guys uh, would open your Bibles um, or your smartphones or your tablets. Um, do I have to say smartphone anymore? I feel like every phone is smart. And actually, on a side note, have you guys been seeing those commercials where people's smartphones are flipping in half now? Why the heck do people want to go back to flip phones? <laughs> I just, I don't understand. Anyway, so Mark chapter four, um, wherever you're reading from, open your Bible or your Bible app. Uh, Mark chapter four, I'm going to be reading out of the CSB translation, uh, Christian Standard Bible. I have always been fascinated with this story. If this is your first time reading it, uh, or if it's one that's not familiar with you, uh, it is the story where Jesus uh, goes onto the boat on the, the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, um, and you know, a huge storm rises up, and they're terrified. You know, I don't want to spoil it for you because we're going to get there. Um, but I've always been so fascinated by this story um, and so what we see here is that Jesus is crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples um, after a very long day. And we know this story as uh, the Jesus calms the storm story, right? That's kind of what, what everybody knows it as. But what happens within the story before it gets to that moment is so fascinating it's also really frustrating uh, as a reader um, if you at face value, but it's also very encouraging. So I want to read it. We're going to just kind of walk through it. And I believe that God is going to uh, speak to us today about the concept of peace today. Mark chapter 4, verse 35 is where we're going to begin reading. And it says this, On that day, when evening had come, he told them, them being his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. So they left the crowd and took him along since he was in the boat and other boats were with him. So we're going to pause there for a second. Jesus had just spent the entire day teaching a large crowd of people on the beach from the boat. There's a series where Jesus had just been, series of passages where Jesus was standing on the shore at the beach of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, coincidentally, uh, Joe, have you been there? Have you? Yes, yes I have. Is it beautiful? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's utterly amazing. Um, you know, it's it's a significancy, but you can see the other side from one side, so it's not like Lake yeah. Erie, right? It's also so, not uh, yes, but it is prone to storms. Interestingly, um, and, and geography is a part of that because it's surrounded by mountains, right, on three sides. So when you're at the sea, the storms can just come in without warning because you can't see them because right. the Sea of Galilee is like in a, in a valley surrounded by mountains. Right. So, yeah, so that's awesome. So Jesus had just been teaching for an entire day, uh, you know, wall to wall, just like 
passage after passage after passage teaching with this large crowd of people, and he's exhausted. He's been explaining the kingdom of God in parables and talking about what it means to be a parable. That's, this is where the parable of the sower comes from and um, various uh, other parables that Jesus was talking about, helping people understand what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And, and so he's doing this, and it was now evening time. Um, and time to head across to the sea. And Jesus, who has been wiped out at this point, uh, if you've ever spent an entire day teaching classes or, um, you know, giving a presentation at work or like at work every Monday, I lead orientation and I do it for four hours straight. Or there have been times where I have preached multiple messages in a row at a church. Um, one time I preached five sermons in a row, like across Saturday and Sunday at a larger church. And you just get wiped out emotionally if you've ever spent just so much time doing something one task that just takes it out of you jesus had done this and he's wiped out and exhausted after several days of intense ministry and so he lays down in the back uh, of the boat and or in the boat and he takes a nap while the rest of the disciples just kind of like relax and just chill out while the the wind takes them across the sea and so, uh, and they're navigating. So let's pick up here in verse 37. So all of a sudden, it says, a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking over the boat. So this is a powerful enough storm. The wind is bringing it up enough that the waves are crashing into the boat so much so that the boat was already being swamped. And if you know anything about water and wood, wood does float and boats float, except when they have more water in them. So they begin to sink. And so that's what's happening here. And so uh, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on the cushion. So he had a little bed back there, which I mean, imagine many people would do sometimes, even on a nice day, would just lay out there on the, on the boat. If you've ever been on the water um, and you just kind of lay down, it's just kind of a nice sort of rocking motion. It feels really great. So Jesus is sleeping, but of course there's this huge storm going on. And what do the disciples do? So they woke him up and they said, teacher, I have so much faith in you. Could you please do something about this storm? No, that's not what they say. What they actually say is, teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? Like, I mean, they know him clearly, right? There is a comfortability to like, kind of like say something like that to him. And I just want to point out before we continue here, the juxtaposition of the two parties involved here, right? So we've got Jesus sleeping in the back of the boat already at peace. Jesus is already at peace. He's sleeping. He's taking a nap, um, apparently unaware, like, but clearly it doesn't matter. Like he's fine. Everything is fine. And then we have the disciples who are terrified. We're going to die. Like, like I just imagine if it were a larger boat, people running around in circles, alarms going off, you know, like all the whole sort of panic situation happening, you know, like, like sound the alarm, mayday, mayday, we're going down. Like the whole thing, right? So like you've got one, Jesus just kind of like hanging out, sleeping in the boat. And then the rest of them screaming, you know, like running around like chickens with their heads cut off. At the same time, they are questioning everything that they thought they knew and believed. I mean, right? So what did they say to him? They didn't, they didn't come to Jesus and say, like, hey, Jesus, wake up. Like, can you do one of those cool miracles that you did? Like, can you just do that? And then we can get back to our trip, you know, make the, maybe turn this water in here into wine. We have plenty of it. We can sell it over there at the, at the you know, at the next market. Like, like they didn't do any of that. They were questioning whether he even cared about them anymore. Like, do you not care that we're going to die? Like, he's, qu they're questioning in their desperation, his, his character, um, which, 
have you ever done that? Like even in, even in regular life, like with people that you feel like you're so frustrated or you're so angry or you're so um, afraid or hurt by something that you are either tempted or in the emotions believe something about someone that you know isn't true. Like I've done that. I've been overtaken with my emotion. Um, and I've even, there have been a lot of times in my life where I have, where I have thought that of God. You know, do you not care that I'm going to die? Do you not care that the situation that may have even been my own doing is, uh, is going to overtake me? Do you not care? At the same time, they're questioning everything that they thought we knew, which is what we saw in David, what the David said last week in Psalm 13, right? How long will you forget me? You know, like, of course, God hasn't forgotten him, but, but he feels like he does, right? So that they realize that there is nothing that they can do to fix their situation. The waves are bigger than the boat. They're crashing in, they're swamping it, causing it to sink, and they're done for. So what do they do? If there is any hope of anything being fixed, they're going to go talk to Jesus. They've seen him do a bunch of miraculous things. They've seen him heal the sick. They've seen him uh, turn water into wine. They've seen him do incredible things that no one else can do. And if there is anyone who could do anything about the circumstance, it would be him. So panicked, they run to the back of the boat. They wake Jesus up and they yell at him, don't you care? Don't you care? And I don't know that it was like that they were coming to him from a place of faith Maybe somewhere inside that they, they were coming to him from that perspective, but certainly in a panic, certainly in a desperation. And sometimes, like I said, we say things in panic or in stress or in frustration or in desperate that we know, desperation that we know isn't true. So verse 39 continues. So it doesn't tell us right away that he says anything. It just says he gets up and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, silence, be still. The wind ceased. And there was a great calm, another juxtaposition, right? Right next to each other, we had this moment of like raging wind and, and water pouring into the boat and, and, and just like this terror, right, happening. The terror that now lives inside the disciples. And then we had the peace that was within Jesus. And Jesus commands the winds and the waves to, to stop raging. And now there's a great calm there. And yet there's a great raging storm within the disciples. Imagine for a moment, that moment, like close your eyes and imagine what it would be like, just conjure up like the perfect storm movie or any movie of like boats where there's been like huge waves just crashing over in the wind and like just the terror that people were feeling when the boat was going down like that. And imagine all of a sudden it literally just stops. Quiet. And all you maybe hear now is a little bit of water lapping on the side of the, on the side of the boat. You kind of hear drips maybe off the side, kind of like, you know, from your clothes that were wet, dripping onto the wet water that's still in there, like just the peace and the quiet. A great calm, it says. There was a great calm. And then Jesus turns to them in verse 40 and said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? This is the part that was frustrating to me, just reading. I'm like, are you kidding me, Jesus? Like, you know, and they were terrified. The word says terrified and asked one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea 
obey him. Who are you? Like, they're just like, who, who are you? Another translation says, what manner of, what matter of man is this? Like, like what kind of purpose is this? This, this is not a normal person, right? Like we thought we knew who you were. Imagine that for a second, being in the boat. You've seen this guy do like heal people. You've seen him do um, like these miracles, right? Like we've seen him teaching. We've seen him healing, um, making wine from water. But this is something else entirely. We thought that we knew who you were. But like, I I can't put words to what I just saw. And when the disciples ran to Jesus for help, I think it was less about their belief uh, and more about desperation. Like, I don't know what else to do, so maybe Jesus can do something, right? Like, that is what it feels like to me. But now in these guys, something has clicked. Let's read that last part there, right? It says, and they were terrified and they asked one another, who then is this? Even the wind and the seas obey him. Like now something has clicked in their mind. We have literally, literally been hanging out with, this, with God the whole time. Like, and I, when I say literally, I want to tell you like why here in a second. Like I wonder... I wonder when we pray to God, and this is a question for us, like I wonder that when we pray to God for help, do we really know who we're talking to? Like, think about that for a second. These disciples had spent all this time hanging out with Jesus, seeing him do these miracles. But in this moment, when their life was on the line, they weren't, they weren't like solid in faith that it would be okay. They were terrified and in emotion lashed out at Jesus and said, do you not even care that we're going to die? When we pray, when you and I pray about our finances or the way that we feel or the, the fear that we're experiencing or the anxiety and the stress, when our situations are out of our control, when we say, God, help us, like, like last week says, right? When we bring our prayers and our petitions to him, and we know that when we're called to do that and there's peace that's promised, do we really know who we're praying to? Do we truly know? Do we pray with the knowledge and the conviction that he is the creator of the vastness of the universe, that he sees us and that he loves us and that he has everything under control. Do we pray from that perspective, even when it seems like he's not paying attention? I mean, that's like from that perspective, my, the way that I pray Maybe the way that you pray, think about it. I'm encouraging you to like really internalize this and like do an inventory of yourself here. Like when you pray to God in the middle of those dark moments, in the middle of your own fear, are you praying to God with a confidence that he is like the one who can calm the seas and the storms with the vastness of it? And even if he doesn't in the moment that it's going to be fine because I'm in his hands or is it more out of the desperation? Like, I don't know what to do. So maybe I'll go to God because if anything, he'll help maybe. Like that's a challenge, right? It's a very challenging thought here. But here's what's happening to the disciples. To a Jewish mind, God was the only one who could control the elements. From their perspective, the only one who could command the elements was God. And not only that, they believed that the Messiah would be the one who would do that. The chosen one, the one who was prophesied to come. Okay. And so what happened in this moment prior to the boat is they'd seen Jesus do like healing 
They'd seen him turn water into wine, right? Which we have seen things like that happen in the Old Testament with Moses, right? When he goes and faces off with Pharaoh's magicians, like, you know, pick up the staff. Uh, when it was a snake on the ground, pick it up and it becomes a staff. Or turning the, the um, you know, the, the river Nile, the Nile River into blood. And, you know, things of that nature, right? Were things that we'd seen replicated by sorcerers and things of that nature. But controlling the elements, like actually doing on your own, was a divine thing. Now there was magic in the world, there was witchcraft in the world, there was fortune telling in the world, but flat out controlling the wind and the waves, that's God. And we see this in Psalm 65, verse six and seven. It says, you establish the mountains by your power. You are robed with strength. You silence the roars of the seas, the roars of their waves and the tumult of the nations. And there are other passages in Isaiah and in other Psalms that, again, ascribe the commanding over oceans, over waves, over the wind, only to be in the hands of God. And so in this moment with the disciples, this was the moment that they really realized who Jesus really was. As I mentioned, they realized at this moment that, that they were literally, and I literally mean literally, hanging out with God the entire time. I think they may have believed there were moments where like, you know, Peter, you know, where Jesus said, who do you say I am? And Jesus, Peter turns to him and says, like, you are the chosen one. You are the Messiah, right? And he says, you've spoken rightly, you know, like, but for the most part, they were kind of like, wait and see. They would follow him because he was a teacher. He was an amazing teacher. He was doing miracles. He was clearly a prophet of God. But in this moment, in this moment, something clicked literally God in the flesh. And that realization changed their perspective of who Jesus was and the circumstances from then on. It showed them that Jesus was their greatest hope in any moment. And that's the title of today's message is Our Greatest Hope. Jesus is our greatest hope, not because he can do magic tricks, not because he has the ability to just kind of like, you know, like do something like parlor tricks, but because he is the creator of the vastness of the universe. But that also he sees us, that he loves us, and that he has the power to command our fears. He has the power to command our circumstances. And there are moments, if you guys would, would look back into your life, I bet you you could find moments where he has stepped in to dark situations, to scary wind and wave moments in your life. And then you would say, wow, I can clearly see how God stepped in here. For us, there have been moments where we received a, a check in the mail, an unexpected check in the mail or cash or a gift from someone who had no idea of our circumstance and gave us a sizable amount of money. Like, there's no way that, that, I, that that's ever should have happened, but it happened at the right moment when we needed it. And sure, there are ways that you could try to explain things away, but, but it's happened too many times for me in, in too many uh, coincidental moments to, to, not, to not do that. And my entire life is built on the foundation of who God is and that I know that he has the capabilities and wants to do these things. But other times, it's even small things, like in the darkness of my, 
moments of emotions, my melancholy or my sadness or depression that I have fought before. I have had, there's been no business of light shining through the dark curtains and somehow, figuratively, I mean, something pops up. I'll get a phone call from someone I hadn't heard from in, in a long time or, or, or I'll just, somehow there's a ray of light that bursts into my heart, into my life. Or um, I, I know that I'm being vague here, but, but oftentimes God does show up in, in these ways that, that bring us peace or sometimes very tangible moments where, where he intersects in life. Other times he uses people and other times he, he just supernaturally through his spirit just brings us into a, a, a rises us, elevates us to a place of, of peace out of our lifting us out of the miry clay as, as David uh, says often. And so what I want to say to you guys is this, is that Jesus is our greatest hope for a great calm. Jesus is our greatest hope for a great calm. We have to come to a, a deep realization of who Jesus truly is. And this is why I said this message is more foundational than it is practical. Because we have to have like a seismic shift in our understanding, in our perspective of who God is in our lives, just like the disciples did in the boat. Because it will shape the way that we pray. It'll shape the way that we see our circumstances. It will shape our perspective on how we feel in those circumstances. And it will, it will allow us to, it'll inform our outlook. And so instead, we won't be praying out of desperation, but instead with a, a faith-filled peace. Yes, our waves. Yes, the wind. Yes, the finances and the pressures will all still be there. But when we have a foundation that the one who is in control of our life and the very fiber of our existence is in his hands and that he loves us and that we know that he has the best in mind for us one way or another, that should fill us with a sense of stability and peace, a great calm internally, even though the life circumstances around us may be swirling. We can still have a great calm inside, even if the rest of us isn't. That's how we can see Christians who are martyred go to their death at peace. And we would say, but I don't want to die. I get that. I don't think that they did either. But the peace that we're experiencing that is promised to us is not peace in our circumstances. It's not that our bills will be paid. It's not that the job will come. It's not that our relationships will be fixed in this lifetime. It's that there is peace that no matter what, it is not the end, that we have hope at all times, and that whatever is waiting for us in this side, the other side of eternity, which could start whenever our life ends, is better than anything that we experience on this earth. And the perspective that God was with them in the boat, literally with skin on, gave them a perspective that it didn't matter anymore what happened. And that's the place that we have to get to. I understand. I don't think God is calling us to a place of, of like not want, I don't think he wants us to just care and be lethargic. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is he's calling us to a perspective of that. Can you imagine if the God of the universe, the one who is out there, if he truly is that 70, 80 years of life or the five years or however long that this struggle that we have been involved in in our lives, how, how minute how much of a fraction is that compared to all of eternity? 
You know, and even from a scientific perspective, I see these, uh, these talks about how like on the calendar of the universe, I think Kylie, remember we were watching, um, we were watching Cosmos and he talked about the, 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 the calendar and how we're just now in like the last couple of days of December, if you will, from the grandness of when the universe was created until now, right? The, the fraction of what we know of as of our time on earth as humanity compared to maybe the rest of the life from a scientific perspective. And it says, look at the, the perspective that helps us to see that we are small compared to everything else in the universe, the vastness and the length of time that has gone by. The same perspective should be from us. If God created all of that, right? The things that we are going through, while they feel very visceral, in a sense of eternity, and the vastness of who God is and the greatness of his love, like six million years from now, are we going to be worried about the bill that was late or that didn't get paid or that electricity was turned off? Like, is that going to matter? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, that's the perspective that helps us to have the peace. And when we know when we're in the hands of the one who can make a difference right now, but ultimately controls our eternity. I want to read Psalm 62 and close with this today. Again, this is a psalm of David. And David clearly came to a place in his life at different times where he came through the storms, where he went through, where God had, had, had like he came out of these seasons of his life and he was able to reflect back and he could call himself to a place of peace uh, with God's help by remembering who God is, by having the right perspective. And I'm, I want to read this right here. Psalm 62, and I'm going to be cutting out a couple parts that, uh, that where he's kind of like a song where he's talking to other people. So I'll just tell, let, let you know where we're going. Psalm 62, verse one, I am at rest in God alone, rest, peace, a great calm. My salvation comes from, not from the wind dying down, but from him. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation my stronghold. I will never be shaken. Verse five, rest in God alone, my soul. You see what he's doing here? He switched it now and he's commanding himself. Maybe in this moment, he's like tempted to remember all the waves and the wind that's crashing around his house, that he's just like feeling like he's about to like just kind of be pulled back downward in emotion and in fear. And he commands himself, no, rest in God alone, my soul for my hope comes from him. My hope, my greatest hope is in him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. Don't look to your job. Don't look to your relationships. Don't look to your paycheck. Don't look to your family members for your hope. No, my hope alone is in God. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock, my salvation, my stronghold. I will not be shaken. Verse seven, my salvation and glory depend on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. Verse eight, trust in him at all times, even in the wind, even in the waves, even when my bills aren't paid, even when my relationships are falling apart, even in COVID, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. Come to him in prayer and petition, right? Bring your request to God. Pour out your heart. God, why have you forgotten him from me? Why, how long will you forget me? You see how they tie together here. He's saying it over and over again. Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is our refuge. And he finishes with verse 11. God has spoken once, speaking over the waves. I have heard it twice. Strength belongs to God. And faithful love belongs to you, Lord, for you repay each according to his works. 
And remember what it said in Psalm 65, you establish the mountains by your power, by your strength. You are robed with strength. And that same God who speaks it silences the roar of the seas and the roar of the waves and the tumult of the nations. Jesus is our greatest hope for a great calm. We have to have a moment in our lives where we realize, where we shift our mindset to who we are praying to, that the peace that is promised to us is not based on our circumstances, but instead is by knowing the one and spending time in the presence of the one who commands the seas and the waves. Again, this is foundational. This is, this is principle and less practical. I understand that it doesn't feel like, well, what do I do? How do I get there? There has to be a place in which we, where we ponder on it, where we meditate on it, where we allow our, 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 the deepest parts of who we think about God to be informed by whether or not we truly believe that the God that we pray to, the God that we sing to, the God that we talk about, if he truly is the master of the waves and the wind, and that if he chooses to do so, that he can calm those things. But even if he doesn't, there is a great calm and peace that available to us internally because we are in his hands. Jesus is the greatest hope for our great calm. Would you guys pray with me as we close? Jesus, I thank you for the story of you calming the storm in, in, the, in the boat. This is something that is challenging for us, particularly when we find ourselves in the middle of difficult situations, um, when it's hard for us to, you know, to rely on you, or it's hard to see past the way that we feel, um, and then to see you as, as what the, the, the story indicates, you know, that we, that we know scripture teaches that you are, you know, that John 1, 1 says in the beginning, there was, um, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it talks about how you were there and all these things like in the cosmic creation, right? That you're there, Jesus. We know that in our minds, but in our hearts, in the middle of desperation, in the middle of fear, in the middle of like the pressures and the things that we face that, you know, it's hard for us to remember who you are then because, you know, it doesn't seem like you often intervene in such a dramatic fashion. And so our minds begin to take over and we, you know, like begin to just allow those things to creep in and, and we kind of stay in that spot. And I know that that's hard and I'm not saying that I'm beyond it, but God, help us to get to a place like the disciples did. Um, remind us, you know, of times where you have inter interceded in our behalf, where you have, you have stood in the middle and you have, have, have intervened physically. And God, for those of us um, who need that now, like Thomas did, he needed to see it, you know, in Acts where he didn't believe that you had rose from the grave until he could see the, the marks on your hands and feet. God, would, would you be that gracious God again now um, for all of us, for those specifically who need to see you intervene physically so that we would believe that you are the one who commands the wind and the waves in our circumstances? 
God, let this be a foundational message that our, our perspectives would be shifted, that we would see who you are, that truly we would believe. And so that when we pray to you now, it's no longer out of desperation, but instead out of a perspective that you can and will bring great calm to our lives, to our circumstances, and in our hearts. God, may we be a people who trust you, who see you as the creator of the universe, and that you uh, have our lives in your hands and change our perspective so that we can receive the peace uh, that is promised to us. I pray that you'll bless our conversation as we move forward here and the rest of our day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home, or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.